Good morning, church family. My name is not Carlos Azueta. That's why I am not wearing a jacket. Okay, let me just start saying this. My name is Samuel Calderon. I have the privilege to serve as worship pastor in our church family of Grace Bible Church, Midtown Campus. But first, I, I, will, I want to start doing something. So, take a look. Let me see if this works. Almost. If not, go to the next slide. This is our pastor email. One of the reasons that, uh, the main reason that he's not here with us this morning is because he's out of town with his wife and his child, Asher, going through uh, challenging medical procedures. If it's possible for you, this is our pastor email. Send him an email of encouragement so he can feel our love, our support, our encouragement. Right now, Sunday is a beautiful day to be as we are this morning. Sunday is not a beautiful day to be in a hospital. And they are, after some procedures, waiting. Procedures went well. Praise God for that. But it's a season for them. So, if it's possible for you, let's show them an appreciation, but, but a word, a Bible verse, a message of encouragement to our beloved pastor. My name is Samuel Calderon, and I am originally from the beautiful island of Cuba. You don't have permission to say Cuba anymore. You have to say Cuba, okay? Cuba, that's the way that we say it, Cuba. Actually, if you go to the uh, Connection Center, you will see the map of the whole world. Unfortunately, the island of Cuba and Puerto Rico is not there. Nothing against me. One of my daughters was showing another fellow and loved teenager where we came from and the island come down. So that's why. Enoch, our campus manager, he have it, he will post it back. I don't know about Puerto Rico because I don't, that island, we need to put it back. It's a beautiful island as well. Back in 1905, the way that the gospel arrived to the island of Cuba was through Americans. During the Spanish-American War at the end of the 19th century, some missionaries arrived to the island of Cuba. Of Cuba. And in, 19, in 1905, actually, February 15, 1905, these men make his way to, to Cuba. Uh, the foreign Baptist, some Baptist board sent him there. And he was one of the founders of the Baptist churches in Havana. His name was Moses Nathaniel McCall. Do you know how many years he spent in Cuba? 42 years. He came as a fully gringo, no, no Spanish, 100%. He arrived and he served God in Cuba during 42 years. 
Let's take a look to the story. This is how the Chronicles describe his arrival. In April 1905, uh, McCall was recommended to become the pastor of the Spanish congregation of Calvary Baptist Church. 1905, that's the church that I came from. Which, but I was not there in 1905. <laughs> Which also met in the Hane Theater. McCall, and this is important, McCall at first opposed the idea because he was only beginning the Spanish studies. They insisted saying, our few Cuban preachers are good, but they are not perfect. I want you to apply that this morning, okay? So that's why I'm quoting him. <laughs> but that is another beautiful about his story. Take a look. Next one. Deacon Cortinas, it's a Spanish name, last name, said, why do we want a pastor who do not speak our own language? After some months where the pastor had to be translated, one Sunday, it was announced that, the, that he will do it in Spanish. Now, Deacon Cortinas asked to pray and said, Lord, thank you for allowing us to see this day when our pastor preaches to us in our beautiful language. And that day began a long pastorate of 42 years. So just for let you know that I will be here the next 42 years, okay? <laughs> this is a beautiful story of how a person from another country came to serve and put their himself in a position understanding that the Lord put him in that place. I don't speak English. I don't speak Spanish. I speak Samoa. So forget me with the his, she's, him's, sing, think, sing. I don't get it. <laughs> Let's go astray to today's topic. As an introductory way, I want to lead you to see some of the most beautiful cities of the world that have walls. I think that this is working. Okay, perfect. So, if not, Matthias, you follow me. Different cities in Europe, in India, the walls of Jerusalem. All these cities have in common, next slide, please, that they have walls. The one at the left top corner is Cartagena, a beautiful city in Colombia, Morocco, one place when in the north of Europe that I don't remember the name, but different places. All of them have in common beautiful walls. There is a common story in all the cities back in the ancient world that were protected by walls. That is a common story. If you read the book of, story, of history of those civilizations, always there is a moment when those places were under attack that somebody in charge raised his voice and said, the enemies are coming. Let's protect the wall. 
I don't know, in India or in England or in Russia or whatever, or in Colombia, I don't know. But where the walls, when the cities were under attack, somebody from inside said, the enemies are coming. Let's protect the wall. That's what we are talking about this morning. Protect the walls. In the same way, our life also needs protection. And in the book of Proverbs, we are told about a wall that protects human beings. And that wall is self-control. If you make an open your Bible in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, Twenty-five, Proverbs 25, verse 28, God's word said, like a city that is broken into, that is broken into and without walls, so is a person who has no self-control over his spirit. I want to read it again. Like a city that is broken into and without walls, so is a person who has no self-control over his spirit. I want each of us this morning to consider the city. Maybe our, our, our walls are high. Maybe our walls are in the process of go down. We are that city and we all need self-control. The core lesson this morning is this. We, as followers of Christ, are called to live lives that demonstrate the rewards of self-control. Each of us, as followers of Christ, are called to live lives that demonstrate the rewards of self-control. We are in a wonderful series study the book of Proverbs. We started two weeks ago and our pastor Carlos gave us an amazing introductory to the, to the wisdom. It's a book of wisdom. Past Sunday, we rejoice in, the, in one of the treasures that we can also have in this book in, that is about trust in God. Trust in the Lord with all, with all your heart and do not lean in your own understanding. Brother Bill Roberts lead us in a very meaningful moment to that verse. Proverbs is a book full of wisdom sayings. It's known as, as sapiential, I told you, my English is still there, sapiential literature. In Eastern civilization and cultures, it is common to find books of this style. Proverbs is a book whose poetic literary style provides comparisons, applications, advice, practical examples for wise behavior, and demonstrates characteristics of the Hebrew culture and background. Later, in the New Testament, in the Sermon of the Mount, and letters such as James and other uh, quotations, Proverbs is present also. Uh, in the New Testament. And it's an affirmation for the believers 
today. This is a book that is worthy to read all time and live in a better way in this side of eternity. One of the most mentioned themes in this book is about self-control, prudence, control of decisions, wise behavior, sometimes to be speaking, other times to be listened, words, thinking before acting. Actually, it's a book of 31 chapters. If you feel moved to that, will be amazing that you can read every day as a personal devotional culture, Christian culture, one chapter of Proverbs is really amazing. Chapter 25. Chapter 25 is, is a comparison of different moral lessons from Solomon. He was the one who wrote down these Proverbs. Most of the verses in this chapter talk about self-control of our actions and our words. Next week, we will be hearing a teaching specifically about words, speech, what we speak, when we speak, and how we should speak. But today, let's focus on verse 28. I brought to your attention, I think, that five versions of verse uh, 28. Um, NASB said, like a city that is broken into, into and without walls, so is a person who has no self-control over his spirit. ESV, a man without self-control is like a city broken into, into and left without walls. King James Version, he that had no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Actually, most of the Spanish versions use the figure of no rain, like a, a horse with rain. So that's the figure that is more um, presented in the Latin uh, versions and also in the Spanish version. A figure that no rain, so no control. New international versions, like a city whose walls are broken through, is a person who lacks self-control. And New Living Translation, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. What is the common word in all these versions? Broken. And it's a comparison. If we live without self-control, we are we could be like a city that is broken. In biblical history, we, find, we found different walls. One of the most famous is the walls of Jericho. And those walls, by the power of the, the, the praise and the way that the Lord lead Israel, falls down. There is also a lot of mentions to the walls the walls of Jerusalem. Also, there are mentions to the walls of Babylon and how because, because the sadness of Israel as they, was, as they were captive in Babylon, they do, they do not want to sing and they hung 
their arps because they don't want sin during that time. And the book of Nehemiah uh, is a beautiful book as well of how God's, uh, God's people through the leadership of Nehemiah was building the walls of Jerusalem. And they didn't have rest until the wall was rebuilt. What teaches the imagery of a city that is broken and without walls? What lessons? As we read, you maybe can, are used to take notes as you read the scripture, which is a beautiful uh, and very meaningful practice. And there is different um, lessons that we take when we observe closely that idea. A city that is broken and without wall. That means absence of protections. That is not protection for the people that live inside the city. That's really obvious. But it's not only protections from the enemies that came out from outside. There are also troubles inside because no control. Destruction, vulnerability, it's a city that has been invited because the walls has been attacked. There is family problems inside the city because the lack of resources. There's, there are problems of labor relations, lords with servant or lords with a slave. It's a chaos. People are doing whatever they want, try to save their own life. Social disorder, delinquency and bad habits grow. Lack of resources, ruins. There is fear, terror. And the human miseries grow due to fear of lack of resources. I remember back in 2020, when COVID hit, I was not in Bryan College Station, but I was in Florida. We arrived from Cuba to Orlando and spent two years there. And there is a version by the way, I love it, from HEV. So in Florida, no HEV, there is Publix. I don't know how you are used to visit Florida, but Floridians have Florida. I have to practice because I almost say we have Publix, but I have been two years here, I feel almost an Aggie. So I am into the culture, I am into. But we still have a, a piece of Florida. But I remember back in February and March 2020, that was really a situation of chaos back in Florida when COVID started. Actually, I thought that I was in Cuba, in Cuba again because people arrived to the store and they grabbed like five, 10 package of bottled water. Just people want everything and toilet paper and food and no Lysol of nothing to wash. And I was like, what is going on? This is America. I know how that looks because 90 miles from Miami, but here, when there is no protection, when there is a lack of resources, of resources, the behavior of the human beings are different. Let's apply this to our life. If we do not give importance to self-control, if we do not exercise self-control, if we are not careful with our actions, 
emotions, words, and decisions. Our life, our city collapses, is helpless, and unprotected. And I don't mean this only about resources. I mean about everything. Self-control is a wall who protects us as human beings. Men, women, child, youth, everyone. The other imagery that we see here is a person who has not self-control over his spirit. Lack of control because the Hebrew uh, used the imagery of a horse without reins. That is rebellion. I don't know how many of you remember the movie Spirit. Um, I have to see a lot of movies on my 40s because no Disney Channel in Cuba, so I have fresh, still uh, Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and all of that that you see when you was a child. For me, it's two, three years ago. But that's the image of a horse without limits is an image of rebellion, lack of direction and guidance, danger, accidents. Because you go all the way without limits. You go all the way without breaks. So this imagery really put these two things together of no wall, there is a chaos in the city. No self-control, there is a chaos in our life. How we apply this? We need to put reins, brakes, rope, control, discipline to the different aspects and areas of our life. All of them, spiritual, emotionals, financials, social, relationals, spirituals. We need to avoid being a spirit without rain. I personally, I am challenged as, as human to know myself, and you as well. Each of us is challenged to know ourselves and self-control our decisions. But even more, if I knew God, if I know God, if you know God, we need to let God control us. Because this topic of self-control is nothing if we think that is on us. Self-control really is surrender ourselves to God's control. Surrender ourselves to God's word guidance. Surrender ourselves to God's word, God's Holy Spirit control. We need to effort to submit to God and his Holy Spirit to protect ourselves. We need to protect we need to protect our spirit, our soul, our mind. The great reality is that there are things that other people cannot do for us. People can pray for us. People can visit us. People can help us and support us. But what is about self-control? That's our decision to surrender to the Holy Spirit. If we do not give control to the Spirit of God and we do not protect our spirit, if we do not control emotions, decisions, words, and action, our city, our life 
our house collapse. When we talk about self-control, we immediately think of the things that we should not to do. We immediately think, okay, self-control means I do not do this. I do not behave in this way. I do not see this kind of movie, movies. I do not listen this kind of music. I do not visit this place or eat or drink or whatever. But self-control also implies the things that we do and can do to prevent our walls from failing. Golden rule, the golden rule that Jesus teaches us is not about not do things. This was the Confucius from China mentality. The Christ-like mentality is to do the right things. And we control ourselves as we do good spiritual habits. When we talk about this, we imply the things that we can do. Self-control means personal discipline. And sometimes we think that we don't should do this, but it's much more because the things that we decide to do matters. We control our spirit by doing things that honors and please God. James 4.17 says, So for one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, for him it is sin. Examples about this. We should, discipline, we should have disciplines for healthy habits. The discipline to honor God with my studies and my work. I remember, and I am glad that he is here this morning. We have a beloved brother that every time that you walk in his job, one of the first things that he does for you is pray for you. He serves uh, in the, in the uh, health uh, sphere, but if you walk into his clinic, the first thing that he will ask you is, can I pray for you? He's controlling his spirit for do something that is meaningful. He's controlling himself for the right things. The, the discipline to manage my finances well. The discipline for generous action. Do generous things. The self-control to say yes to one job and no to other. It's maybe better pay, but distant from, far from the family. This past week, we meet a family from Venezuela, and they, they go to the same school that our daughters go, which is ILT. This family, he got a great job in mainland. I don't know what mainland is for there, for there, for there, for there. I am still learning Texas map, okay? Mainland, in the uh, petroleum industry. But they decided that as he worked there, the family was here, and that father only see his family every three weeks. They talk about it after they realize, and they decided to move to mainland as a family. And that was personally the right decision. Yes, College Station have amazing schools, but what about raise a family? It's more important 
to be a family in, in, in this personal family. We have to be wise about that and self-control our decisions about that as well. And the discipline of time. I know the movie King Lions and I know what means Hakuna Matata. And that is not a healthy way to live a life. Self-control means erase that mentality for our life. Through the Bible, there is a lot of scriptures that remember us self-control. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, 23. Self-control, dominio proprio, is part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We all have it as we have the Holy Spirit. God gave us a spirit of self-control. When, when, when we hear a, a, a believer say that, I cannot control myself. I am the way that I am. Uh, there is a lack of surrender to God's Holy Spirit. Titus 2, 11, 14. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25, 27. I love this one. Every athlete exercises self-control. They do it to receive a perishable red, but we an imperishable. Titus 1.8, the servant of the Lord should be hospitable, a lover of God, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. First Peter 4, verse 7 to 8, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled. What a beautiful mentality. Because Jesus is coming soon, let's be self-controlled. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 to 7. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. Also, we find people in the, in the Bible that face moment of necessary self-control. And the way that I want to present this to you is people that sometimes in, this, in their life, they lack self-control, but other moments, they show it. Let's talk about Joseph with no self-control before his brothers. You may have another opinion. I am an only child. I am. So I am the one of child that everything is for me. I don't like to share, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if you have more than one brother, just imagine that you come one day and say, hey, I have a dream. And in that dream, you knees to me. And you surrender to me. And if he's the smallest and the little one, come on. So he don't control his mouth. He show up say, hey, I have this dream. You will almost worship me. That didn't came finish in, 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 in the best way for him. No self-control over his mouth. Joseph, years later, with a huge amount of self-control in the presence of Potiphar's wife when he ran away. Moses, without self-control, speaking to the rocks so the water flows. And Moses, 
with a huge amount of self-control, asking God to have mercy and to not destroy Israel. David, with self-control, when he did not dare to take Saul's life, even when Saul once destroyed him. And on the other hand, David, without self-control, when he was already established as a king, and murdered Urias. Urias in Spanish, in English, Uriah, Uriah, something like that. So he can keep Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Peter, without self-control, cutting off the ear of a Roman soldier. And Peter, with self-control, obeying the heavenly vision and going to Cornelius' house to share the gospel with the Gentile and his household. Paul, without self-control, arguing, arguing with Barnabas intensely over John Mark. Paul, with self-control, asking Barnabas to send John Mark back to him because he was useful for ministry. Because self-control is also a humble spirit. And this is not in the Bible, but it's in our life. You and me, with self-control, avoiding temptations. But on the other hand, you and me, without self-control, rejecting or avoiding do, doing good to others around us. As I mentioned at the beginning, we, as followers of Christ, are called to live lives that demonstrate the rewards of self-control. I want to mention, according to this verse, three rewards. Self-controls provide us with present and future protection. If we control ourselves today, we are doing not only a better present life, but a better future life for ourselves, for our family, and for others. Self-control provides us with a spiritual, emotional, emotional, and physical peace. What a calm mind you have, we have, when we exercise self-control. When we are wise about our decisions, the things that we do not do and the things that we do because we control ourselves. And self-control fortifies God's direction and purpose for our life. We are not like a horse without rain. We have direction. We have the Holy Spirit in us who lead us to the right decisions and to avoid the wrong ones like a city that is broken in, into and without walls, so is a person who has no self-control over his spirit. Brothers and sisters, as I say at the, at, the, at the beginning, let's protect the wall. Let's protect the city. Let's protect ourselves by exercising self-control. But what, what if we fail sometimes in the journey? It's beautiful talk about self-control. Amen. And we all, as believers, that 
al temple of the Holy Spirit, yes, self-control with the Holy Spirit in us. But even that, we all fail in, this, in the journey. What if we don't make it? Because there will be moments where we will not hold the reins enough. And we will felt like a broken city. There will be moments where we will make decisions that, uh, I lost 500 bucks. Nobody say amen. amen. I lost, I should not do that. Or another of the phrases that sometimes the lack of self-controls lead us to use in our mouths. I'm sorry. I should not say this. I'm sorry. I should not have to do, should do this. If we have failed sometimes, that is a reminder for us. And I want to ask to the worship team to come back to the stage. The answer for that is the grace of God. We should be vulnerable. Because the only person who lives a perfect life is our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the only one who lives a perfect life. We should forgive ourselves if, if during the journey of our life, all the way until today, all the way starting today, we fail again. Let's forgive ourselves. Because Christ forgave, forgave us. And that's the grace of God that we proclaim. Because sometimes we carry the burden of the decisions, the wrong decision that we make in the past. But the grace of God is enough, not only for forgive, but also for walk with us in the midst of those decisions without, that we made without self-control. The grace of God. Jesus coming to the earth, living a perfect life without sin, and putting himself in an exercise of, yes, Father, I surrender to your will. I go to the cross. I will go to the cross. I will offer my life for the whole world. So everyone who believes should not be perished, but have eternal life. You know that I came from Cuba? I don't know where you came from. I don't know if you are visiting us today or are for the house. I don't know if you believe in Christ or not. But I do know that every human person are loved by God. And Jesus offered his life. So if you believe in the grace of God, your name is written in the book of heaven. And you can rejoice forever with him. But it's, it's a day to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me for my sins. Lord, I repent. And thank you because your grace covered me. We don't worship a Savior in the cross. We worship a Savior that died in the cross, but rose again and lived forever. And the best of everything is that we will be with him 
forever. And communion is about that. Jesus died, rose, but will be returned. We are not attending to a funeral when we celebrate communion. We are just remember, and we are trusting in, an, in a better assurance. Jesus will come back, and we will go with him forever. We have our deacons providing the cup of communion if you don't have it. Feel free to raise your hand if you need it, and they will give it to you. If you may stand with me in this moment. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to invite you to reflect for a minute, for a minute in a meaningful, in the meanings of this moment, when we remember what Jesus did for us. Use your own words. It's maybe for you a moment when you said, Lord, thank you. Thank you for love me and forgive me. And thank you for put me in a beautiful family of faith. That is maybe a moment for you, for us to say, I'm sorry, God. God. I failed this past week. I failed this morning. I should not behave in this or that way. But I come to you, I come to your grace, I embrace your grace. The never-ending grace of God. If you have never made a decision about belief in Christ as your Savior, I invite you to consider to do it this morning and surrender, surrender your life to a life controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. As we take the cup, we remember that night when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ teach to his disciples that every time that they eat the bread and take the wine, the juice, they will do it, remember him. Remember what he did. That he, in that case, he will do, but for us, what he did on the cross. As you meditate in this, take the bread and drink the juice as a remember of what Jesus did for us. You may.